0: We got a real simple plan: one me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. Yeah. Touchdown! If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven.
1: This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now, alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis.
0: The final four is set, what it has that is most compelling, and the one thing that it will lack. From heartbreak to hiring a new head coach, Texas makes a move after the devastating loss to Miami, and tournament DNA does it matter why. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, March 27th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel back together again. Pete was in Louisville and saw the final of the South region, the championship game between regional final between Creighton and San Diego State. So I think before we get into this Final Four, which I think is different simply because it's the first one since 1970 with three newcomers in it that have no Final Four experience. You've got a blue blood in it. I don't care what anybody says. UConn is a blue blood, regardless of what's happened last few years. But that game that you saw yesterday between creighton and san diego state not aesthetically pleasing but certainly dramatic at the end what what were your thoughts about the foul call um, at the end and and then you have some stuff in the aftermath but to me pete that's a foul i complain about no offense all the time and if you're going to let all the other junk go and i understand there was stuff that should have been called earlier in the game that wasn't and then they call this you start with protecting shooters You start with protecting shooters. It was a foul. It just was. And, you know, and I was glad they called it.
2: I had a pretty simple take on that. Uh, It it was a foul. And it was right in front of me when it happened. And, you know, I think it might have been called a beat late. Um, Mm -hmm. And it may have occurred a little later within the shot process than people would have liked. But it was a difficult call. But I think it was absolutely the right call. Now, there is an argument. And a lot of people made it that you can't call the game as loose as they did. And they called that game loose. There were like three or four times where I was just like, whoa, You know, they they let them play.
0: Well, it was a San Diego State game. So that's going to happen. Yes,
2: yes, they are. uh, They boy, did they slog through Louisville, man. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, (laughs) They are uh, a bunch of beautiful, artless grunts. Um, (laughs) 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 Then they have Darren Tremel. But winners. Yeah. but no, no, good. Yeah. Yeah. And look like I think Brian Dutcher to defend them says to guys, you will not come here if you don't totally and wholly commit to playing defense. And the is that that is their backbone. That is their DNA. And then they had some, you know, occasional moments of, uh, of, of good offense. But at the end of the day, Ryan Nemar got beat off the dribble leanly and clearly beat off the dribble on that play. And he was playing catch up and as somebody who's gotten beaten off the dribble a lot in his life. Like I can relate to this. All right. So what do you do when you're clearly beaten off the dribble? You put your hand on the guy's hip to try to alter his shot. And there was actually, uh, a great tweet, Al Toby, one of my old editors at Yahoo, put it out. He did the Super Bowl grab, and mm-hmm. then he did that, and he actually, never had a a a, a tug of jersey along with the uh, along mm-hmm. with the push on uh, on Darren. So now, was it a little dramatic how he fell after? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but but it, at the core, I I agree with you completely that that was a foul. It was the right call. I think the officials thought about it for a second because they knew the stakes, and mm-hmm. then. Um, Lee Castle made the uh made the call. And I think you have to make that there. You you can't have that guy, you know, roll down the lane like that. And if you're Creighton, you can do two things. You can look at the micro where Greg McDermott gave a foul with six seconds left, which allowed them two extra seconds to run their offense, which ended up looming large. And they were over 10 from three in the second half. They had plenty of chances to win that basketball game. I and mean, they quite frankly just didn't come through. Was it good defense or just bad shooting? I think it was a little bit of both. I don't, I don't think San Diego State had like, you know, Brad Stevens level closeouts where you're touching the guy's nose on every on every three. I mean, they had some good open looks and they missed them. They missed them all half. They they had big offensive droughts. Credit San Diego State, they were a great defensive team, but Creighton had Plenty, plenty of opportunities, uh, and uh, and and didn't it didn't come through to to put the entire game on that call? Just, just is I think a, a negligent take,
0: right? Uh, no question. The one thing about and you bring it up because San Diego State played unbelievable three point defense at Louisville, heels to the three point line, trying to make you take tough twos. Something that that is not in in Alabama's philosophy, for instance. But Alabama in the regional semifinal shot very poorly from three as well. And I think one thing that happens is when you play the type of defense, type of physical defense that San Diego State does, is that occasionally when you get open looks, you, you don't think you're as open or that you have to hurry or you're a little off rhythm, a little out of sync. It's not quite in the flow that you would normally get the shot. Because I haven't seen the, the numbers yet, the metrics on what Creighton did with open looks, but Alabama shot like 20% on what uh, what was deemed open looks from three. And, you know, that's, um, you know, you're not going to win many games against a team of that caliber, a defensive team of that caliber, if you don't make some, make the open shots that you get. And Creighton wasn't able to do that yesterday. And, but still plenty of opportunities in a one point game. I understand the philosophy behind when fans say, I don't want the officials to decide the game. But the officials, the officials have to decide it because if not, they are deciding it by virtue of the fact that they don't make the call because the the rules are in place. Both teams have to abide by them. And you know, was it an egregious foul? Was it a large amount of contact? No. But I kind of go back to that that whole thing about about protecting the shooter. There are so many more great stories in there. There was a flip side to it, and you and I talked uh, before the podcast about whether you wanted to tell this story or not. But you you encountered a kind of a, a terrible and unseemly incident in the aftermath of that game involving the official who made the call, Lee Castle.
2: Yeah, so I was uh, flying out that night. So we had the, the afternoon game, so I tried to get tried to get home that night. I had an eight o'clock flight out of Louisville, and I was sitting there, mind my own business. And I actually sat down in the same airport row at the gate of my flight to Atlanta to get back to Boston as uh, Lee Kass, and I had no idea it was him. Now, mind you, he you know he made the call ten feet in front of me, but it just it didn't register. It was just a guy in a Yankees hat, um, yeah, in a Lululemon shirt that just looked like a guy you know guy ready to go home. And I was trying to get my phone calls done, calling back home to uh, Kate and Teddy, and just doing doing normal things. And some Creighton fans recognized him, and it was it was honestly Reese, like really ugly and it was p- really pathetic um one one guy actually uh it was a guy in a plaid shirt who wasn't sitting far from me either um actually followed him into the bathroom to yell at him and uh and then yelled at him again when, you know he's saying things like oh how much money did you have on the game it's not fair to those kids and it was just it was really like it was almost like they didn't recognize that guy was like a human you know like, like it was just one of the co- most completely unselfaware things i've ever seen the guy had two two boys with him who i assume were his sons and his wife and like I was just like how do you how do you act that way like what what kind of life lessons are you, are, are you showing there now lead to his credit and I ended up uh sitting not far from him and chatting with him a little bit and uh trying to help him quite frankly because it was just like it was just an unseemly scene um really like kept his cool and and really didn't react because that has to be really hard in like just a in a, in a wide open situation like that. And, you know, you, you've got, you know, literally he had nowhere to go. And mm-hmm. so I credit his, uh, his composure, uh, you know, just to sort of in, endure that and not snap back and not, uh, and, and, and not react. But the guy, the guy was just a, the, just a true, pure jerk, very really proud of himself for all the stuff he said and and kept going on and on. And I just kept thinking like, what kind of example you send for your kids, dude? Like it was, it was really, uh, it was a really good reminder. Just in, I chatted with Lee a little bit about it uh, on the flight. He just said the stuff you hear parents say in front of their kids in the stands. It's almost like that you know the ticket gives you a right to you know to to just harass another uh, harass another human. So it was. It was really unfortunate. And I and I bring it up mostly in part to just like remind people and listeners, like, man, these you know, these guys are people. And you know, a guy was going back to see his kids and you know, just trying to try to get on flat out of town and, and did his job. And I thought really made the right call. And, and I told him it in a in a tough, yeah. in a tough situation.
0: It's the passion of the fans that borders on irrational is one of the things that make sports and particularly college sports great. But when you run over that line, and there is a line mm-hmm. of decorum that you really shouldn't run over. Now, you want to yell at the other team within within bounds of at least decent taste. You want to yell at the officials during the game from the stands within the bounds of decent taste, and hopefully, uh, non uh, you know uh, non ba- without a lot of bad language, with a lot of, without a lot of vulgarity. You want to do that if that's fun to you. I don't really know why that's fun. Maybe that was fun to me when I was a you know a college freshman or something, but you know, I don't get it now as an adult. Um, you want to do it during the game within the bounds of some decorum. Go ahead. You know, I think it's weird, but go ahead. You know, I'd rather just see you cheer for your team. But once it's over, I think the thing that fans find so hard to Some, not all. I'm I'm speaking, I'm painting with too broad a brush. Fans like the ones you encountered have a hard time understanding that officials, broadcasters, reporters, that they are there to cover the game or to officiate the game and they have respect for both sides and they don't care who wins. They don't have money on or against your team and probably somebody's going to dig up some historical clip of some referee that did. I get that. But by and large, people understand what we're talking about here. They're just trying to do the game. They're just trying to call the game. I mean, what a professional job, you know, for instance, by, by Jim Nance who had the moment with Houston, which was really cool when Kelvin Sampson called him up and they broke down with hello friends, which was great, you know, and then he sees, you know, look, I'm sure deep in Jim's soul someplace, he would have thought it'd been really cool to call his last final four in Houston with his alma mater, winning the national championship.
1: Sure.
0: And then when they didn't, I mean, guy called a game like a, like a pro yeah. you never would have known if you, and that's how officials by and large officiate games. Do they make mistakes? Of course they do. So do broadcasters, coaches, players, and obviously fans, but do they do it maliciously? Almost never, almost never. Now, do they call attention to themselves sometimes? Do they do things, uh, you know, because they get angry at, and make mistakes that way? Of course they do. They they do. But they're not trying to hose your team. And, you and know. Teddy you, Valentine
2: butt slap. Did you see that from the uh, NIT on Twitter? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, it I'm was. Guessing. It was a SoCon coach. I don't remember. It was sm- yeah. and, uh, <laughs> Teddy gave him like a little too aggressive of a like a like a little tap. It wasn't a yeah. tap. It was more like a slap, it made, and the made coach's mad. face went like viral. It was like, oh, yeah.
0: what? <laughs> I got. I don't know if you saw it at the ACC tournament. Teddy was calling one of the games, and he snuck up behind Greenberg, and he started acting like he was shining his head. And I got <laughs> it, put it out on Twitter. I, I did look, see that for yes. people. Who, for people who don't know Ted Valentine, I mean. Is he theatrical? Is he animated? Yes. Has he made errors? Of course. You know, Joel Berry certainly has. But he's a good dude, man. I mean, Teddy, and and you know what? And I was going to say, you know what? You ask coaches about it. They say, I know sometimes they'll take him every time in a big game because he gets the call right. I mean, Greenberg even says sometimes you would go back when he was coaching and you'd be so angry at Teddy after a game and you'd go back and review the tape and go, oh, crap, he got it right. You know, <laughs> you know? it was yeah. sort of infuriating at times, yeah. but going back to the main point, you got to leave that stuff in the arena and you don't mm-hmm. need to be vulgar. And yeah, and you certainly don't need to accost someone in a public place outside the arena yeah. of competition. It's, it's- it's ridiculous, but but most Creighton, fans, most Creighton fans are great. They, oh, yeah, great awesome. fan base, passionate fan like, base, yeah, just sure. like you know, one or two knuckleheads, uh, yes, it, yeah, yeah, no.
2: And I wasn't uh, casting them all, no, I know. on this, I know. on this guy. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the person who handled it best was Greg McDermott. Um, yeah, so I asked the question in the press conference, it, look, it was, it was what everyone's going to talk about and write about from the game. So I asked him about the foul call, um, and I asked him if it was in line with the way he felt the game was called, and then there was that sort of ambiguous situation at the end with the 90 foot pass that somehow it took 1.2 seconds for the ball to get tipped and then go out of bounds that and yeah. that they never gave a direction of where it would go and uh they just kind of ended the game um so anyway there was like there was just a lot of lingering stuff in the last 30 seconds and it was what what people want to know Greg McDermott basically said we're going to win with class and lose with class and the officials didn't cost us this game bottom line I'm paraphrasing here but he he just in the moment you know given the chance and i don't think that was really how he felt i think the way he felt was of pretty course. clear and you can yeah. you know do a little rip, lip reading on the sideline it was uh it, it was pretty obvious um pretty obvious how he felt but he he absolutely Led the high road, took the highest of high roads in in, the, in that situation, which is uh, which is known as the case. So, tip of the cap to uh, tip of the cap to him it would have helped my story probably if he was a little bit
0: uh, spicier. <laughs> San Diego State gets Florida Atlantic, the the Owls of Dusty May, the former Bob Knight manager, uh, led the Owls into the Final Four, which is a remarkable thing. UConn plays Miami, Miami coming back. Uh, seemingly out of it against Texas and, and making it in before we get to Texas hiring Rodney Terry on a full-time basis, those matchups, Pete, people always say, I want new blood. I want new teams. I like the randomness. Want to see a bunch of new teams. And I saw someone tweet today, and I think it's a really good point. If you're not a television executive, why in the world would you care what the ratings are? And, you know, I I don't know that it's reflective of the health of the sport, um I suspect that this will be a low-rated final four. Mm-hmm. But what if it's what if they're good games? What yeah. what if the drama's great? You watch are, the final yeah, four. Yeah, those know, of us who like, like college basketball love college basketball. Yeah. You're going to watch the games, you're going to um enjoy the drama. That said, the one thing that this final four will not have that we've had other times and that we had last year certainly is anticipation. For anyone outside the fan base and building of drama, you're not always going to get Coach K's last ride against his arch rival. I get it. But when you do get Carolina Duke or those years when you got uh, a Memphis going in undefeated or Kentucky going in in 2015 Mm -hmm. undefeated with all those great teams, um, you know, someone. You know, maybe some legend '03 Bay. I'm trying to get a national championship finally. When you have some type of storyline to build up during the week, it makes the event seem even bigger. Mm-hmm. You're not getting that, and you're not getting that with either of these matchups. Are there great storylines? You bet. San Diego State Dutcher, longtime assistant, Final Four, amazing story. Ford Atlantic on its face. I mean, Dusty Mays, Jim, and Boca is barely bigger than his high school gym he played in in Indiana, right? <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. Miami didn't have a program for like 15 years, not, not that well. It's been a while ago now, but like 40 years ago, they shut down the program. wasn't important, you know, and they, I, I had a guy, and I'm going to say this on game day Saturday. I had a guy who would know who said that they used to announce attendance after they reinstituted the program in the first few years, they would announce attendance basically by going, Hey, what are the last four digits of your phone number? And they just made it up because there was nobody there. And that, well, I almost made a grave error and told you what the last four digits of my phone number are, but that wouldn't be good. (laughs) That wouldn't be good attendance. So I'm really glad I didn't do that. But Miami, in the final four after consecutive Elite Eights, and regardless of what happens, Jim Bayheim in my mind, uh, Jim Beheim, pardon me, Jim Laranega, uh, with his accomplishments. They're both very tall. They're both tall. They, they they're both kind of the same build. They're both yeah. elderly. Uh, one's a little kinder. <laughs> sometimes one's a little less grouchy. I would, <laughs> I would say that's probably fair, but, you know, I think he's going to. You know, at some point going to the Hall of Fame because he should George Mason in Miami. Are you kidding? Yeah. Not to mention putting together. All of this, and, I, and the strife they had surrounding NIL with Nigel Pack coming in at the beginning of the season. It's not strife, Reese. And that's it's like that being ahead of the curve. I don't know why yeah. anyone could like. No, no, could... no, no, no. You misunderstand. You mean... When when Isaiah Wong's rep said, hey, you got to up oh, the end here or yeah, we're yeah. out of here. Yes. You yes. know, so yeah. I'm talking about that. Fair. Yep. No, yeah, no, that's fair. what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm not talking about the other. So you, met, you know that's bubbling. That bubbles oh, everywhere. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it's human nature. I mean, yeah. people in our business, hey, I can't believe this guy's making X. Well, yeah. his contract came up at a different time. So the way it goes. Yeah. And but but this is a new frontier for college coaches, and he managed that beautifully. And then you have UConn. You know, I'd for, to be honest, I'd forgotten they were unranked in the preseason because they zoomed so high so quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was so obvious when you watched him play early in the season with all of the talent, this Final Four Caliber team. So you've got a, um, you know, you've got a juggernaut historically against three upstarts, but you're not going to have that anticipation leading up to it. That doesn't mean it can, there can't be great games mm-hmm. or memorable championship game, but you're not getting. Um, we are awaiting, um, you know, we're, we're awaiting Wisconsin, Kentucky. You yes. know, we're awaiting a potential Duke oh, Kentucky match. You yeah. know, you're not, you're not getting that. And so we'll, we'll just have to wait for Saturday. So this is the difference to me.
2: It's star power. And this is, I think, a little bit of what college basketball on the floor, what college basketball has probably been lacking for the last handful of years. And I really think it manifests itself this weekend. Now, I'm not saying that the games aren't good and the matchups aren't good. And the players aren't good. But is there a singular player in this Final Four where you are like, wow, I can't wait to see that guy play basketball. And I'm also like – Cause I live in a pro town. So a lot of my friends watch the NCAA tournament through this prism. I can't wait to see that guy get drafted and become a, you know, is he going to be a sixer? Is he going to be a Celtic? Is he going to be a Nick, whatever it is. Like it, there are no McDonald's all Americans. Jeff Bozella tweeted that out the other day. I yeah, thought that was an good. unbelievable yeah. stat. Like, wow. And uh, I, you know, I'd have to dig in a little bit more, but I would be pretty surprised if there was a first round pick out of these four teams. Am I right about that? Do you
0: um, probably, I mean, Sonogo is dominant, but I mean, they yeah. missed him at only six, nine. Klingon may eventually be a first round yes. pick. The big yeah. Guy. I mean, this year, I think is but, probably oh, I mean, the this year. Thing. I don't, yeah. this I don't year. know. I would. Yeah. yeah maybe Jordan Haw- Hawkins, if he comes out just because he can really shoot it, but you know, he'd probably be toward the end of it. So I think yeah. that's, I think that's probably true. Yeah. And you, if you just notice all of the guys I mentioned are all playing at Connecticut and none of them were, yeah. you know, none of them were, now, look, Miller uh, like was, was unbelievable America. for Miami this weekend. I mean, That's you can't true. argue yeah. that he, you know, he is, he, he's a he, terrific player.
2: Man. Yes, he's he a, a he's a great player. player. And yeah. this isn't a criticism and this isn't I'm not trying to give people reasons not to watch. It's just an evolution. It's where college basketball has gone. You know, people are people are scattering and they're going to different places. And it's and it's great. Right. Like it's it's this is this is, I think, a really interesting experiment to how the paradigms of the game have changed and where where people end up. Um I mean, what is it? A, a five, a four, two fives, and a nine. And a right? Nine, right? It's the second, I especially highest like seed that total. nine. By the way, we can get to that. Yeah, I
0: know that's right. It's the sec- <laughs> second highest seed total. And yes. the other thing too, as you look at all of these teams, with the exception of UConn, who has destroyed everybody in yes. their path. Yes. Every other team in the Final Four could have or should have lost. At Fort Atlantic was down without the ball in the first round with five seconds left in the game or something against Memphis and somehow won the game. Uh, San Diego State, you know, not only did they trail by nine to Alabama in the second half, but they were were tied or down, um, I think, to Charleston early. Miami trailed Drake in the first round fairly late in the game. And then obviously Miami yesterday against – against down Texas 13. was, you know, was down and almost out, it seemed. So it takes a little bit of luck to get through. But the one thing that you notice about all of those teams that came back, they didn't panic. They're all old. I mean, yes. there there yes. is there is a dearth of high level impact freshmen uh, that have that have gotten into this final four. You know, it, typically the last few years, that's, you know, you've had older teams win it. But you've always seemed to have had someone who was younger on that who, who were playing huge roles. All these guys roll. And part of it is the NIL stuff. They can stick around, they can make a little more money. Some guys aren't as suited for the modern NBA game as they are for the college game. Yes. And they do and they do better in college. And what's another year? You know, I about Armando Baycock coming back. Well, right, exactly. He he's a perfect example. He and Oscar Shibuy are perfect examples of guys. Who the way the NBA game is right now, they're not big enough to play right. that way. I mentioned Klingon yeah. earlier. He's so he's so stinking big that you know that he can he can get up there and block some shots and you know and he can uh, run the floor and finish because of his size. He's probably a little different, but if you're six nine, you know there it's it's a little harder if you don't if you don't have some range on your shot or if you don't have some explosiveness in your you know in your game in terms of leaping or something. You
2: know why we need Klingon to, to make the league and be a top ten pick? Why? Because he has to elbow out of the way the most famous Bristol Central graduate that works in the NBA right now. Well, it's you gotta be Woj, is? right? It's Woj. It's Woj. Ad- You gotta get Adrian Woj Wojnowski. out of there. He needs to el- <laughs> he needs to elbow Adrian Woj right out of there. <laughs> hey, he needs you to get and, some of that Bristol Central shine
0: going. You you and you and Woj do a little tag team on on breaking the patino story? We did, yeah. Worked with worked with Woj. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. He's very
2: laid back, you know, if you've ever been around him. (laughs) (laughs) I not we're not not intense,
0: not intense at all. (laughs) Man, I mean, people know this. I'm not breaking news here, but when I hosted the NBA draft, and I did it for about ten years, when when Woj came over, it transformed our draft coverage. Transformed it. I, I remember on a couple of occasions riding with him to the draft. And having, you know, front office people or scouts or coaches, you know, sometimes guys who were going to make the decision that night calling him and, and, you know, running things by him and bouncing it off of him and stuff like that or potential deals or whatever. And, you know, it's an amazing thing to watch uh, to watch guys like you work who have who have put in all that time to establish those connections. And then with Woj with the connections in the NBA, it's, it's fascinating, which, by the way, his uh, his alma mater Has company now, at least in the three newcomers into the final four, the last one, uh, I think it was 1970 in St. Bonaventure. Mm St. Bonaventure was entered along with, uh, can you you name the other, obviously UCLA, because they won it. You know the other two? So
2: one of them was Jacksonville.
0: That's right. Duval.
2: Yeah. Artist Gilmore. Yeah, there you go. There you go. (laughs) From artist to Trevor. And I don't
0: remember the other one. I was also not
2: alive, so I don't really feel like
0: I don't remember this final four because I was I guess I was four. But um, New Mexico State. Oh, that's right. about that. You you know, you know what I get mixed up is because two years later. Florida State made the final four with Mm -hmm. Hugh Durham as the head coach, but for some reason in my mind, I want Hugh Durham to have been coaching at Jacksonville and coaching Artis Gilmore Ed, at that uh, time. And it's sure. one, it's yeah. one of those things that you know, but in your mind, it gets mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a little composed. It's it's
1: ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group. and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.
0: So who do you like, Reese?
1: UConn.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I yeah. I mean I had UConn going to the did championship you? game, losing to Alabama, but okay. um yeah. and as the uh, tournament unfolded, if I'd had a do over on that, I would have probably picked UConn to win that game, almost did anyway. Yeah. Um you know, I know they had that stretch mid season where they lost six out of eight, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I just from the first first few times I saw them play in December, I was like, Yeah, those those, those dudes can go. And you know, so I, I picked Iona. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So well, we all had those. Yeah. yeah.
2: I all uh I, I had all four of my final four out by the sweet 16. Uh Teddy Thamel, who's 14 months old, 13 months old, was leading the uh, family
0: bracket at last yep. check. He had the Zags, and for a minute I was
2: like, this little sucker might win the pool it's, we're in,
0: yeah, it's gonna do good. <laughs> you know, I had uh the the other thing too, and but I had long since given up rooting for my bracket, but after oh, all of the uh after all of the carnage in it, I almost had two of the final four because I had Texas. Yeah. And, no, and right then, there. you know, and then that, you could have oh, won well, the darn had, thing. Oh, like I had, yeah. yeah, I had Miami out in the first round. I had them, which they, they almost did. Yeah. yeah well, I sure. Almost to Drake, but, uh, um, yeah, no, I know, mean that,
2: like, did you see that like the 9.5 quintillion stat, like there's more sand, you have a better chance of yeah, like, more sand. Yeah, there's more yeah. like, grains of sand. Like literally I thought about that like three times. So, Cause it's just so random, like just trying to, trying to pick this thing and, uh, it's actually freeing when your bracket just gets destroyed, and you could just sort of watch unencumbered by it. Like
0: which, which this brings me to this, because we were texting a little bit among our pod group with Sarah and, and Taylor during the tournament. This inevitably happens to me when you're not rooting for the bracket, especially if a team is coming back. As I was watching this weekend, I found myself hoping, hoping Florida Atlantic would, you know, would finish this off. And immediate sure. and immediately after they did, I felt remorse for hoping it would happen because I I I wanted, I loved the Kansas State story. Marquise Noel was just he was like oh. going on a Kemba like run. I was sad it was over and I felt awful for them. Same thing with Miami and Texas. And this was not because I picked Texas to go to the Final Four or anything about it, but as Miami was coming back, I found myself saying, this would be cool because, first of all, I've done some Miami games over the last few years, and and all of those guys, great guys to be around, a great program to be around, a great a dynamic young rising star on the on the staff, Cody Kimball, who's going to be a great head coach someday, and you know just great guys to be around. So I find myself, you know, caught up and you know, come on, let's finish this thing. And as soon as they do it, I feel devastated for Texas. Well, for Terry, you know, yeah, and for him, and really, and for and Marcus Carr was so good, and Timmy Allen, Sir Jabari Rice, so many, you know, terrific players on the team. You feel devastated for them, and I, I've come to the conclusion that if you're not working the games in the moment where you have, I don't know, this weird. If you don't do this for a living, I find it hard to be able to explain it completely. There's a little switch that when you're working that kind of takes the emotion out of it for Mm -hmm. you. But if you're sitting on your couch, just like a fan, and if I weren't a fan, I wouldn't do this for a living. As I'm sitting on the couch, the emotions go back and forth. And I've come to the conclusion that the tournament only makes you miserable unless your team wins or you win the pool. <laughs> you know, otherwise, yes. otherwise it's going to find a way to make you miserable because you're going to see the devastation from the Texas players and your your heart's going to go out to them. You're going to see, you know, Marquise Noel and his brother, who obviously was just in that in the garden on Sunday. And, you know, but you would have felt the same way if it had gone the other way. You felt badly for Miami or FAU.
2: Yeah, it's why I'm I'm grateful, especially in, in college football. Like I don't gamble, I can't gamble. It just wouldn't be part of what it. But like that just torture it tortures your enjoyment of the game. Like I love a college football game. You know, it could be Louisiana Tech Rice. I love college football and watch it. You know, same thing with the tournament. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the heck out of every tournament game and when you have something that is impacting your joy of the game obviously we're both huge fans of both sports right we consume massive amounts of it and enjoy it when you have something that can impact just the, the pure joy of it because there's an angle there it does it's just like it, it it you're you start yelling at the tv you start you know it's just not it's not the same i uh i understand why people gamble because there's that rush there you know what i mean that's it, it's a, it's a huge part of the sports i'm not discounting that but when i have that or even when we have our dumb like race for the case thing and i want somebody you know i I want somebody to win a race for the sorry race for the ribeye um you know and you know we're we're rooting against you and bill uh connelly it's just yeah it just it it impacts the game and so you just i just rather have it like play out with, with with no emotion
0: yeah it but the emotion part of it makes it fun do you do you believe in um because it, I thought this out a little bit because of Kansas state's loss in the elite eight and very few people would know the history of, of Alabama's tournament woes, uh, as I would, having gone to school there, do you believe in tournament DNA? Like it can carry over. I mean, the hardcore basketball people will tell you, oh, this stuff doesn't matter. It never matters. You know, it's different team, different era, different time. It's a
2: good question. Um, It's a little bit like living in Boston. Like, can the Red Sox be cursed if it's different managers and different pitchers and different players? It's a, and I think I believed to an extent. Like, stylistically, Rick Barnes has a tournament problem, right? Stylistically, Nate Oates is starting to show he could have a tournament problem um, because of because of the because of sort of the feast famine way they play. So, in I think via coach, but via. Program, if you're going over through a what if you're going back to Wimp Sanderson, then I don't believe in tournament DNA.
0: Well, okay, I do well, think let me, there's, let me hit you, let me hit yeah, you with these, please, then, please, and let yeah. me explain my theory yeah, to you, no. which is a little nebulous and certainly not altogether scientific. Kansas <laughs> State gets to the Elite Eight, mm-hmm. and many of these times they, they they lost to Danny and the Miracles in the Elite Eight, they lost to Butler, they lost to Loyola yep. Chicago. And yep. they lost to FAU. Okay, yep. now that that's a trend. And when I put that out on Twitter, uh, one uh, one Power Cat Emo fan pointed out there was also one in the seventies apparently that 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 I didn't recall. Alabama now is one and nine in uh-huh. Sweet Sixteen games. And you say, well, so what? Alabama's no good at basketball. You know what? Only one team has one more tournament games than Alabama without a final four appearance. Only Xavier.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: Xavier also has a little bit of that. Now, okay, mostly it's coincidence. I get that. But I also think that a couple of things happen. I think that there's a psychology involved. Not that the players even think about this, but what you expect. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, when you play against either for or against Duke or Kentucky in basketball, or North Carolina or UConn or whatever, there's an expectation to win. And maybe if things aren't going your way, then the pressure comes after you and the other side's a lot looser. If you're in an Alabama or Kansas state situation where your success, historically speaking over a wide long period of time has been sporadic, then maybe that pressure comes at you in a different way. When you get on that stage and you, and you don't play your best. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I, I'll bet you that the majority, and I would be interested to see when we post these clips, I'll bet you a lot of the star-crossed teams in the tournament over the years, Tennessee's a good one, even pre-Barnes, um, I'll bet they can recite chapter and verse of games that got away games that they should have won they couldn't it got tight they couldn't finish it and I think the be-all end-all nature of the tournament now really lends itself to this psychology of guys pressing and the the anecdote to that is to or pardon me the antidote to that is the antidote to that is to have a dude who can overcome it on his own to have Kimball Walker That potentially almost Marquise Noel. And it was what Brandon Miller was called on to do and could not do. So I I think there's something to it psychologically just because of human nature of what you expect, what you're surrounded by every day, what the expectations are in terms of winning. Um, You know, do you rush the floor if you're Kansas State after you beat Kansas? And then Jerome Tang says, let's not do that anymore. Let's expect to win. Well, you rush the floor out there. You probably really didn't expect it at first. So I think there's a little bit of uh, unprovable psychology to it, but somehow yeah. it keeps rearing its head for the same teams over and over. And, you know, Xavier went out around early, but you remember, I think probably when Miller was there the first time, they had a little problem getting past the Elite Eight. And it's uh, it's so it's not just one or two programs. There are several that uh, that have their issues.
2: He had the same problem at Arizona in the Elite Eight, too.
0: Um, Fair enough. I, I do think that there's a uh, –
2: when you play at a blue blood, when you play at a place where winning is an expectation, that just that that changes your approach. You have to be wired, you have to be wired a little bit differently. You operate a little bit differently. Standards are a little bit different when you play at a place like that. Whereas if you play at a place where you're chasing everything, you know, things that are new. Um, yeah, I think it does, I think it does alter that. I just don't know. I will buy a tournament, I will buy your theory, like I'll buy it half. I don't know if I buy it wimp sanderson back you know what no, i mean no, it's, like
0: it's it's not debilitating it doesn't mean you can't ever do it sure i think it just means there's something there's something there that you have to overcome it's an extra obstacle that's fair yeah it, it's an extra obstacle obstacle psychologically that can rear its head in a number of ways um you know it can either you know it, it can make you play poorly but I also think it works against the favorites every now and then and obviously it varies person to person but you have those types of expectations expectations in your Duke and all of a sudden the game gets tight late and you lose to Lehigh or you know Virginia is the number one seed they're still chasing it that time it gets tight late oh gosh we can't be the first one to lose to a 16 and then all of a sudden you lose by 18 points yeah. you know and so it's um It depends on the guys. I understand that. And that makes everything different. But I do think it gets in there somehow on a on a subliminal or subconscious level.
2: Who knew this would be the basketball psychology podcast?
0: (laughs) I I love all this stuff because, you know, I, I said this on the podcast, I think the last time we were there, it goes back. And really, probably the best way to frame this is there's no provable way to say that your record in the tournament impacts your performance. I mean, I would never I'm not saying that I'm saying it. The coincidence keeps coming up. So why? Yeah. And it really probably comes down to this. The old Bob Knight, since one of his former managers is in the final four, uh, the mental is to the physical is four is to one. And, you know, there are only so many new plays, although I did like the fact that I did like seeing Kansas State run mesh uh, football patterns. (laughs) That's
2: that's been been one of the great developments (laughs) because there was a couple other teams that ran it early. There's a a high school coach. I want to say it's like Caleb Williams is O.C. from Gonzaga. Yeah. And D.C. has put all of the the basketball inbound football plays um, on uh, on Twitter. (laughs) And it's still it's they run bubble screens.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I, I saw that. I saw, I've forgotten who did that now, but I saw maybe FAU ran a, ran a bubble yeah. screen to get a ball in balance. But that also is something else, as I've, I've complained a little bit about the officiating here. Have you, have you noticed that we are taking football and making it people talk about basketball and grass and creating space and making rules for the offense? We've taken football and made it more like basketball In some aspects, obviously, and obviously, we've taken basketball and we're letting them play like it's football sometimes. So maybe, maybe somebody's going to have the bright idea to start a new hybrid sport where they're like eight guys on a on a fifty yard field. Helmets or no helmets. Uh, no helmets. Okay. No, great. no. Okay. The, uh, the soft light wrestling helmets or, or, you know, some like the spring
2: things. practice, like before yeah. you get the full pad, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some kind
0: of those things that like they wear at the, at the opening or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly those, what those things, yeah. Yeah. Those things, they could probably wear those.
2: That's, uh, that's good. Yeah. I, uh, I do it generally, um, agree with you on that. Like, I wonder if this, if, like, this San Diego State, you know, is, is this a little bit – Now, again, the other teams are, are pretty free-flowing. I mean, Miami's fun to watch. They're they're well-coached oh, on offense. Yeah, Here's a general observation I have that, that ties along to that. How many teams did you watch in this tournament that were just, like, dreadfully stagnant on offense? Like, just – like, you know, it's, like, four minutes to go, and it's a big possession, and there's, like, one guy dribbling, four guys sitting. Maybe somebody goes and like, sets a half-hearted screen. It's just – it just doesn't seem like college basketball offense. Again, the players aren't as skilled; they're not as good. It has near the intricacies and symmetry and intentional intentionality of NBA offense.
0: It's uh, I know everything's different now, but every now and then, when you bring something like that up, it reminds me when uh, when I was in high school 100 years ago. Our our coach believed in doing everything you know in the in the Bob Knight Indiana philosophy. So we ran motion poorly, but we, we ran it. <laughs> But it was a it was it was a cardinal sin to screen the ball. You just never screened the ball. And I know that even, you know, even the mm. uh, steadfast motion advocates later on, um, you know, adapted and, and employed ball screens. But it was always screen away, down screen or screen away. You didn't screen the ball. And it's and now nobody does anything except screen the ball. It seems like, you know, maybe, maybe a little action that is the offense it on the side, but that yeah. is the offense now. So, but uh, yeah, it happens. But that's why, like, Creighton runs good offense. Miami, it is. Miami's fun to watch. Uh, UConn gets out and goes, you know, Fort yeah. Atlantic will try, but you know, the, the first semifinal is going to be low scoring because that's what San Diego State does. Second one's going to, second one's going to be, um, gonna be gonna be better best game of the tournament so before before you get out of I, this is easy for me this is easy best game of the tournament you go i'm gonna think about it for a second kansas state and michigan state
2: yeah so that, i, I was, was writing a, a story game, during that game and didn't like i like so ducked great. in late on it i no, it
0: it did it, seem to just. It, it has awesome. the guard in, and no, what do you have? Nineteen assists. Yeah, twenty points, nineteen assists. And Michigan State hit so many big shots. They, you know, and they both teams up and down and scoring. And they, it's not like they were doing the old Loyola Marymount thing and letting you score to get the ball back, you know, which I'm no fan of. Um, but you know, it's um, you know they were guarding, but they they were making shots. It, that was the, the best game of the tournament up to this point. To me, it was great. So the game I you know,
2: if if you could judge the tournament game by the volume of visceral reaction that I had during uh, during the, the most intense moments, I would say that I would probably have to go with Furman, uh, Virginia. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just the way that game ended. Um, I was on the Peloton uh, watching, uh, you know, just because it was like a long, long afternoon. So I was getting work out it, and I absolutely Howled like when that when that shot went in. I yeah, mean it well, was amazing. You see the pass you're like,
0: ah!
1: and then yeah. it's like ah! yeah,
2: I yeah. was that was that was a
0: that was a blast. Um <clears throat> I, I will tell I'll tell you one other I'll fess up one of those things again. I didn't care who who won the game, but um when Julian Strother took the shot that won the game for Gonzaga against yes. UCLA, when he pulled up. I said out loud, just my wife and I were sitting watching him. I said. What are you doing? <laughs> he made the but you're glad you weren't on the call. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'd like to think I would have had a little more discipline if I hadn't been, if I'd been on the call there, <laughs> I said that, I said, what are you doing? Oh, what a shock. Yeah. <laughs> so, I
2: was at a, uh, I was at this, this would surprise people, but I was at a bar in uh, Louisville for, for that game. After after dinner, uh, we went to uh, Jack Ruby's for dinner and then the, the bar was closing down. So we went enough. Some Urban I hope
0: you went to Jeff Ruby's.
2: I did go to Jeff Ruby's. Instead it's Jack
0: a, Ruby's. I
2: said Jack Ruby's. I went there <laughs> twice. You'd think <laughs> I'd remember.
0: <laughs> oh, no, Jack, Jack Ruby. Uh.
2: <laughs> the Jeff Ruby's. Sorry. It's great.
0: Jack there. Ruby, uh, Jack Ruby yeah. apparently had some establishments back in the Anyway, I I digress and go into historical context. Go yes. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no,
2: <laughs> I I I've butchered the name. And uh, no, so like the shot goes up and you just hear everybody in the bar. You know, it was a ton of Princeton fans actually were in town for that night. And they were they had kind of taken over part of this bar. And I was with a couple other a uh, couple other scribes having a uh, late night beverage. And there was just uh, just. It was that was a fun moment. That was a really really fun moment. I mean, feet on the logo. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a great game too. Sure. Reece. That it was, was a great game. That, that would was be another a, great yes.
0: game. It was yes.
2: a lot of I fun. Would, that would probably end up as the if, if, if somebody does one of those lists of ranking the tournament games. Like John Gassaway would do it for us. He
0: does a great job. Like that would it would be you'd be hard pressed to not have that in the top three. Okay. Last thing before we uh, let the people go. Um, Rodney Terry, Texas. Uh, to me. I understand the concept, uh, as someone said earlier in the season, had, say, you know, the unfortunate incident involving Chris Beard. Had that not happened and he had just chosen, let's say, to go to the NBA, you know, would Rodney Terry have been a candidate? The answer is no. But as it turned out, you could make that by side by side. You could make the argument that Rodney Terry got an opportunity to show what he could do in a Texas situation situation. And showed that he could excel. And it wasn't a short run. It wasn't like, I mean, Steve Fisher proved to be a, a wonderful coach, both at Michigan and, and San Diego State, but it wasn't like a an emotion-fueled short run like Michigan had in 1989. And this was over a long haul. They bounced back from some things. They dealt with some injuries. And I I thought he proved worthy of the job. And I think it was a great decision to give him the full-time job. Your thoughts?
2: I'll be I'll be curious how convicted they are contractually to Rodney Terry. Those details haven't come out yet. I think they're paying him 3 million a year, but where the buyout is and how real the five-year deal is um, that, that, that to me will show how much crystal content really wants Rodney Terry there. And, in in is this just a, okay, you did it. Nice job. We'll, we'll give you a tryout, or we want you to go and really lock in long-term and succeed. And I think we've seen both in different succession scenarios, um, over the uh you know o- over the past couple of years. And yes, I I don't there was just no way Texas could not hire Rodney Terry. And look, he was pedestrian in his nine, 10 years as a head coach at Fresno and at UTEP. But you I look at it as he learned a lot as a head coach. He did not have the type of destination, the type of talent, the type of mm-hmm. league platform. And he has a lot of institutional experience at Texas from all those years being under Rick Barnes as an assistant there. So I think Rodney Terry if they can keep some of the staff, which is all former head coaches um, is really going to be set up to uh, set up to succeed and thrive and push forward there. And I mean, Chris Beard made Texas a high-end recruiting destination in the state and beyond. And Shark and smart recruited really well there. I mean, when you look at the players through there, you'd be like, wow. Um, and so can, can Rodney Terry keep that momentum going? I think we'll learn a lot here in the next couple of months because they, they need guys that the
0: same caliber of player committing to Rodney Terry's Texas. That's a fair point. I, and I, one thing I would say, maybe not in terms of salary, because I understand maybe you have a guy prove himself and develop that over a period of time. But if you go in and and I'm not suggesting Chris Del Conte did this, but if an athletic director goes in and hires any coach, like, oh, well, let's see how this works out, um, then you shouldn't hire him. Have the yeah. guts to step up and not hire it if you're yeah. not if you're going you if you're hiring a guy support him one hundred percent and see how it goes and you know you probably if it works out the way you want it to then maybe you'll get to give him a bunch more money and everybody will be happy yeah. you know but um you can't go in with you know one eye on your list you know you got every yeah. if he has to have a list you have yeah. to because Texas thought it didn't need a list until sure. you know this season. You got to have your list, but if you go in with a new coach with one eye on your list, then you're trying, you're helping him fail. So mm-hmm. don't do that. You know, yes. so they, I think you know, I'm, I'm I'm assuming that they should be behind him. I hope they are. And I'm very yes. happy for him. I hope he does well. Yes. So.
2: so I think we need to end on this note. Uh, what Houston Steakhouse do our listeners think Reese Davis should take me to on Sunday? I think we need some, we need some social media recommendations and, uh, yeah. Well, we're open to all. Uh, I don't I mean, I've been to Houston a bunch of times. I I wouldn't say I know it that well. So yeah. we'll, like open to all recommendations we, from our fine listenership. We, we
0: will listen. The bet was that one team seated seven or lower um, would make the final four. And I sort of openly mocked Pete when he was left with Ford Atlantic and and my uh, beloved Princeton Tigers. But you know, you you can't you pulled it out of the fire, so good for you. And and I get a steak out of it too, because I'm not going to let you eat a steak, and I'm not going to eat one. So so that'll be good.
2: Yeah, me carrot top, who's an FAU
0: grad, we learned that today. We Tom Herman, that.
2: we are all owls, Reese. We are all okay. owls.
0: Hey, if if Herman if Herman's there, he should go with us. I'll buy his I, steak too. All right. Well, if the owls win, yeah. yeah Tom Herman yeah. spent a lot of time in Houston. He probably could. He probably know a good place. But he probably knows a good place. <laughs> All right, my man. That was All fun. Right. Congratulations on getting yeah. back, uh, getting back home after that long ordeal. Flying yeah. back.
2: Five a five oh one AM arrival uh on Sunday. So nobody wants to hear about our travel, but that was hey, congratulations. Uh, that they was probably something. want to
0: hear about that. Well, that was the other something. part of it that you told was, was interesting for sure. That was yeah. interesting. Yeah, that was That's interesting. Been- This has been the College Game Day Podcast. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back with you at some point during the weekend in the Final Four. Our good friends, Taylor and Sarah, who keep us on track sort of on this. (laughs) We'll make it apparent when we record another podcast. Thanks for listening.